As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. A frankly surreal run of form continues as Fraser and Cole send Brighton packing. You'll soon have the best-kept garden in Sussex. Can Newcastle cultivate some acceleration in Dan Ashworth's journey north? And a picture is worth a thousand words, to Chris Woff's editors at least. Yes, hello again, this is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne, and Newcastle have won again. Anybody getting bored of it yet? Jacob Murphy away, in behind the Brighton defence. Murphy lifts it over, Robert Sanchez hits the post. Ryan Fraser follows up, and Ryan Fraser has scored for Newcastle United. And now they have an opportunity from a set-piece, maybe, to get another right-footed ball whipped in. Good header! Absolutely amazing scenes again at St James's Park on Saturday. And as always, I'm joined by the Athletics' intrepid Newcastle United correspondent, Mr Chris Woff, uh, and our very own marathon man himself, Mr George Calkin. Well, if, if, if Chris is intrepid, then I'm decrepit. <laughs> How about that? How about oh, that? fantastic. After running 13 miles through the streets of Paris, sipping red wine as I did, did so, tossing frogs' legs uh, behind me. What? Um, oh. But yes, thank you. That's lovely. That's what a beautiful just, welcome that is. I'm still just in Just to add some context to this, for those of you who don't know, George has been in Paris this weekend doing the Paris Marathon. Uh, half Paris marathon. half marathon. Half. I don't know forgot, near as impressive. You forgot to do the second half of the race. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just stopped. I stopped after thirteen miles. God, how did you get on? Did you win? I did. I won. Good. Yes. Yes. That's another victory for the for two nine. Yes. Uh, no, I didn't win. I'm not sure what position I came in, but I got round, and that was victory. That's a victory at my age. Lovely and, stuff. Uh, no, it was beautiful. Yeah, very very cold, but very very. Uh, it was sunny as well, very beautiful. It's an absolutely beautiful course. And I did it in 157, which is not my fastest ever, but it's not my slowest either. And yes, I'm trying to raise funds for the Sir Bobby Robson Foundation this year. I'm setting myself the challenge of running 10 half marathons at least this year. So we'll see how that goes. Fantastic. One minute 57 is also my record of uh, for marathons, but we call them Snickers now, don't we? So, <laughs> <laughs> and Chris, how are you doing? Are you well? Did you have a good night last night? You were at the Football Writers Awards, weren't you? 
I was at the Football Writers Awards. Yes, it was a, it was a very good night, very enjoyable. Um, we did go. So Simon Bird from the Mirror drove it very kindly, drove us across, and then his car broke down before we came back. So we were there. Oh, it was a very late night, and I mean, I was I was there enjoying the festivities, whereas Simon Bird had to sit outside in the early hours of the morning and try and get his car fixed. So yes, I think I came out of that one better. But no, it was a, it was a great night. Uh, there was loads of people from uh, Northeast football, past and present there. The Brilliant. likes of. Uh, I mean, Amanda Stavely and Mida Gaddusi, Newcastle's owners, were there. Brilliant. Um, and then Alan Sat Maximan won the actual Player of the Year award, but uh, unfortunately he was not there, but did send in a message. And then there was likes of Chris Wilder from Middlesbrough, uh, Alex Neal from, from Sundon were there, and then people like such as Peter Reed. So John Hall was there on, on our table as well. It was, it, was, no, it was a very, very good event. Really good to, to have it back post-pandemic. And it had that sort of extra buzz, I think, because everyone was back seeing it so yes unfortunately I was the only representative of Pot on the Tain all of you guys deserted me but, I, um, no, I was but, supposed yeah. to go mate but they didn't have a tuxedo in my size uh, unfortunately they don't they don't do them in extra medium anymore so we had to we had to just <laughs> had to make do with just you there but I'm sure you uh, you flew the flag honourably also just before we crack on we have to say congratulations to Ryan Fraser and Eddie Howe on player and manager of the month nominations fantastic achievement there from both of them and fingers crossed for the wins um so a little bit of admin before we crack on you can subscribe to the athletic now and get your first six months at just one pound a month if you go to theathletic.com forward slash newcastle pod you can get full access to our great writing and analysis as well as ad-free versions of all the athletics podcasts so make your way to theathletic.com forward slash newcastle pod and sign up for a six months deal at just one pound a month Maggie's. Right, chaps, Eddie Howe's Mighty Mags were back in action on Saturday afternoon. Um, George, did you see the game with you being over there in that there, France? Did you manage to catch anything? Yes, I did. I managed to watch it. Um, yeah, and it was a different sort of game to the ones we've been watching recently. I suppose it sort of it brings it home that for however well Newcastle have been doing recently, and of course they've done absolutely fantastically, you can't automatically expect them to outpass a team like Brighton who were just so good on the ball and things like that. And so it was a bit of a sort of, I suppose it was a bit of a reality check in that sense. But, you know, brilliantly took their chances against the run of play on the break and did what they had to do. It wasn't the most um, wasn't the most scintillating of performances, was it? But they're an effective, an effective team at the minute. It's just brilliant. Well, we spoke about this before, haven't we, Chris, where we've said about the different types of wins and Newcastle being able to grind out these results. And it definitely was a different type of win than the ones we've seen recently, wasn't it? A, a really weird first half. But, you know, who's complaining? The, the three points are there. Exactly, yeah. The, the Newcastle are in such positive form at the minute. That is a game where the direct comparison you make is with the Watford match in January when Newcastle couldn't hold on even though probably during the first half against Watford actually they were far better than for large periods away against Brighton but they allowed Watford back in the game whereas against Brighton it was a nervy intense second half but actually I, I, I didn't think Newcastle were going to concede there, there was sort of there's, there's that confidence about them now maybe that was me being inside the ground maybe that's me watching them from that sort of aspect it did Brighton I thought f- until for so two-thirds of the pitch were very good on the ball and then they get the final third and suddenly were very, very sloppy in what they were doing. Newcastle, in general, except for a couple of very good moves for the goals, well, one set piece and one move for the goal, I thought Newcastle was sloppy in possession in general. I didn't think they were great on the ball, even worse than they've been sort of in recent weeks, but they 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 showed a resilience. They showed a bit. You, you could see the players believed they were going to they were going to hold on. They thought they could hold on and w- would hold on second half, and that's where they've grown over the course of the last few weeks. And I mean, Brighton we see as we've said it before, they're a bit of a bogey side for Newcastle. Hadn't actually beaten them in the Premier League, and to get over that sort of psychological hurdle as well, and a few other psychological hurdles, it's just I thought I thought it was just a huge win. Yes, it wasn't pretty. It's not going to be memorable in any way in terms of the moments of the match. But to have got the win, that's that's. If you'd offered anyone a two-one victory before the match, they would have taken it. I'm sure. That first half, I thought, was very reminiscent of an old Newcastle, if you want to call it. If we've if we've seen the new Newcastle in recent weeks, that was kind of an old Newcastle. But it was a. It was. I don't mean that as a as a criticism necessarily, because I think it was an organised old Newcastle. Certainly in the first half, I thought they 
They got people in position behind the ball very well. I thought they lost some of that at the start of the second half. I thought there was that touch of panic kind of coming back in the second half. But the first half, I thought they kind of did they did well. Um, everybody in the right place, uh, knowing what they were supposed to be doing and how to do it. And they were, as I said before, they were effective on the counter-attack. I think they got ragged. I think they went ragged in the second half, which we haven't seen for a little while. Yeah. Um, and Brighton's attitude, they kept, they kind of came out at the start of the second half, I thought, with uh, with much sort of more impetus and they looked kind of much more efficient. And it was the first time I kind of thought that the Newcastle team hadn't quite known what to do or how to kind of cope with it. But by the end of it, um, yeah, that word, that word resilience, they've, they, they hung in there and they managed to grind it out. And it's, it's one of the oldest cliches that there is around, but that's what effective teams do. Absolutely. We have to mention Ryan Fraser again, don't we? I mean, in, in recent weeks, adding goals to his game, he never stops running uh, and an assist as well. And uh, I tucked away that goal nicely after Jacob Murphy's um, intentional assist playing a 1-2 with the post, shall we say. Uh, but uh, Ryan Fraser, Chris, a, f- a fantastic performance again and a, and a Player of the Month nomination. He's, he's, he's absolutely flying at the minute, isn't he? Yes, but just on Jacob Murphy, I know I, def- I defended him early in the season when we had sort of John Anderson just put it in the net when he tried it. <laughs> I do think now he just needs to move beyond trying to chip the keeper and remember that it was sort yeah. of four years ago at Man City. He's going to just, I mean, I felt for him a little bit, but equally he forced himself a little bit wide. And then, but but Fraser, yeah, he's, he, I mean, he, he physically, he almost ran himself in the ground. He? he was he shattered was when he came off. Yeah. He was absolutely shattered. And that's that's what that's what he brings. He's just everywhere. He 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 presses high. He runs around a lot. And then yeah, the, the delivery for for Cher's goal was was a wonderful cross. It was and a just beautiful ball. and it was what what impressed me about the his about Fraser's goal himself is the fact that he'd followed the ball as well. He followed he followed Murphy essentially. Yeah, like he, he he'd had a that was a full on counter attack where he he was quite far behind play and he kept on following it. And he got the look that it came back to him, but he'd he'd gambled and and, and followed it in the box to get that. And so yeah, I think uh, Fraser. It was in it. I have to be honest. When that when the Player of the Month nominees came out, in terms of a Newcastle player, I personally thought that it probably should have been Joe Linton. Just in terms of, I think that Joe Linton, in terms of embodying what Newcastle are about and why they have been so solid and important, I think that. Joe Linton probably would have been my own nominee, but equally, Ryan Fraser deserves all the applause. He's had such a transformation yeah. under Eddie Howe, certainly in recent weeks, and he's an integral member of that side now. And and, and, he, and he's probably, he, he, he just seems to be getting better week yeah. on week, and he now is contributing those goals and assists, whereas before you could see it was almost playing on his mind when he was in front of goal, whereas now he has that extra bit of confidence about him. He's not getting many opportunities, but when he is getting them, he, he's starting to take them, and yeah, just wonderful. It's a continuing theme, George, isn't it, with this team of a, a re-emergence or even an emergence of key players in the squad, and Fabian Scher is another one who has really, really upped his game and is playing fantastically, and when he jumped and flicked that ball in with that beautiful brill cream quiff of his... Uh, and ran away towards the east stand. I almost became instantly pregnant. Um, honestly, this, this what has what have they been putting in his water? He's been brilliant recently. Well, as Chris said, I mean it's interesting that question about player of the month because there's there's a handful of players you could have nominated actually from the Newcastle from the Newcastle team, and any of them, um, you know, any of them any of them would have been worthy of it. It's you know it's sort of fascinating how the players that. Newcastle have signed in January. Yes, Burn has been brilliant. Target's been seamless. Wood has kind of given everything. But really, the story of, uh, of of kind of Newcastle's recovery has been built around those players that have have already been there. Whether it's Willock's goals, whether it's been shit, you know, the the John Joe Jojo uh, in midfield, and um, and at the back, you know, done brilliantly. Share is just so good on the ball. He's confident and composed, and then. I think when there's discipline around him, he can be disciplined. The The problem that we've had with Cher and so many of the, of the other players is that they haven't had that positional discipline. They haven't had the structured discipline of the team around them, of other people knowing where they should be and what they should be doing. When they work as a team, um, they all look so much better. And so Absolutely. a huge amount of credit has to go to Eddie Howe. So I'm delighted that he's been nominated for Manager of the Month. I mean, quite rightly, when you look at the when you look at the results, but just the way the team are playing and 
performing. Yes, it wasn't um, a vintage performance at all, you know, by any means on on Saturday. But to even have the capability to to get a result, a positive result from that, is 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 really sort of testament to the improvements that have been there over the last couple of months. Just astonishing. And, and talking of uh, accolades, uh, Fabian Scher, there was a lovely quote from Garth Crooks, which uh, like he said, it's the second consecutive time that Fabian Scher has made my team of the week. And if he keeps on playing like this, he might make my team of the season. That was from Garth Crooks from the BBC there. Um, yeah, he's really embodied it, hasn't he? He's He's been resurgent since I remember under Steve Bruce, he was making mistakes. He was getting left out of the team. Um, and he just looked like a shadow of the player that we remember under Rafa Benitez, surging out from the back and, and scoring goals and, and being part of uh, an attack uh, and this time uh, to, uh, on Saturday he, he he just looked he looked fantastic again and and we said the defence was a little bit uh, lucky at times Chris didn't we but um, some of the last ditch tackles and last ditch blocks this is what you need though when you're, when you're down there scrapping in the relegation zone this is what happens isn't it they do yeah and the, I mean the thing about Newcastle is that now or has have been over the last few weeks is they are very disciplined in terms of structure in terms of what they do off the ball and we saw that again on Saturday I didn't actually think that they were brilliant defensively but I don't mean that I think that's almost doing them a disservice because as I've just said before they are they are now just on a weekly basis are very organized and very difficult to break down but I didn't think it was the case that Brighton really posed so many questions that they had to be brilliant defensively I thought Dan Byrne was very very good and he did put in a few last ditch blocks but I actually thought it was when Brighton got to the final third they precision and decision making was just terrible and Newcastle were just very comfortable at sort of dealing with that they lacked a, that that cliche with Brighton but they did lack a centre forward yeah. I think if they had a presence through the middle it would have been a lot more difficult for for Newcastle and so it yeah it, it's just sort of strange because I don't want to I don't want to criticise the performance and, and I don't think you can re-criticise the performance like Saturday too much because although Brighton had almost all of the ball and all of the territory it wasn't as if they lay siege to Newcastle's goal. It wasn't as if Dubravka made several saves. He made a couple of decent yeah. ones and Byrne made a couple of blocks. But it was just, yeah, just an efficient performance. And I see where George is coming from in terms of harking back to, to sort of maybe how they were before. And I mean, Eddie House, he spoke about, it was inter- House spoke after the game and he was quite interesting because he was he, he sort of chatted about how, what he's installed at Newcastle and how they're playing. And he said, he said, everyone thought when I came in that I was going to play 4 4 2 because that's what I did at Bournemouth. And he said, but actually, I didn't have. I'd, he's like, I looked at the players that I had, and not necessarily everyone is going to fit that system. I mean, he saw there's sort of a little bit of revisionism there because he did start by playing four four two after he initially played five at the back, but he has adapted. He has decided that actually these players are better suited to this sort of style, at least in the short term. He spoke again about longer term, wanting to change things, and about how influential Bruno Gimmaresh will be in that and you saw that when when Bruno came on they're just the, the 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 confidence he has on the ball and then he that that heart in the mouth moment oh right God. at the end of the match right just put right inside some box even Howe admitted that he, he sort of was was at that point really concerned about what he's going to do but that just shows the, that shows the confidence he has on the ball that shows yeah. what he's willing to do and and it, it certainly wasn't the time I don't know whether he thought that Newcastle were 3-0 up or something like that at that stage and <laughs> check the scoreline but. Just one thing very briefly there Chris when so you talked about Brighton and you know not being brilliant in the final third we sort of mentioned this earlier when we had a chat coming, coming away from a lot of these games during Newcastle's run thinking Blimey, the opposition were bad, or blimey, the opposition were poor. And is that because Newcastle have played those teams at a good time, or is it because Newcastle have made those teams look look a bit ordinary? Because I don't think it can be a coincidence that we can be coming away from these games thinking the opposition had an off day or the opposition were poor. And I think that's been part of why Newcastle have been effective in that they've stopped the opposition playing, yeah. and you know. There have been games where they've had to sort of really, really uh, fight and they've had to kind of really, really use those sort of tactics. But I, I don't know. I just, I'm just i sort of opening that up to debate a little bit. Yeah. But, you know, I think Newcastle have been, 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 been become effective at disrupting the opposition. I mean, I think you could probably say that, you know, you get the odd game where the, where the opposition aren't firing on all cylinders and you might win that game based on that. But... You know the the run that we've put together. It would have to be some coincidence for the opposition to be having off days on all of those occasions. I think Newcastle have played well. I think the team look a lot more 
a lot more structured and a, a lot more organised than they have done in the past. Going forward, they seem to have a fluidity about them which they didn't have in the past as well. And I, I, I would have to say, you know, it's it's probably a bit of both, really. I think there have been times when we've come up against teams. I mean, Brentford looked absolutely shocking and, of course, they had a man sent off. Uh, but I do think Newcastle have played well and we have to credit Eddie Howe and we have to credit the players. Uh, it's an interesting one, though, George, isn't it? Because we had that um, announcement came out on Monday night um, from the club with a, a John Joe Shelby statement where he apologised for his performance uh, on Saturday, which I don't think I've ever seen a player do that after a, after a win. Um, I didn't think it was particularly necessary. I don't think John Joe Shelby did anything particularly wrong on Saturday, but it's interesting to see that he's holding himself to those high standards, isn't it? I definitely didn't think it was necessary because he's been part of a winning team. It's not like he got sent off. It's not like he did a stupid tackle. It's not like he gave the ball away for a you know for a goal that meant that Newcastle drew or lost or anything like that. But if that if it's if it stands for Newcastle's improved standards over recent weeks, then great. I'm all for people taking responsibility for that, and and so on and so forth. And so yeah, I mean a nice a nice touch to feel the need to do it, but he definitely didn't. He's been, you know, Shelby has been one of the one of the architects of this run, and uh, deserves you know deserves huge credit. So thank you, John Joe, but your apology is not necessary. Definitely not. And Chris, Southampton on the horizon on Thursday and then a real acid test at Stamford Bridge after that. Do we think there's going to be changes made? I mean, a lot of those players looked dead on their feet by the end of the Brighton game, didn't they? And there's four games in two weeks it'll work out at once all these games are played. So there's going to have to be some rotation there, isn't there? Yeah, I'd be shocked if 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 Howe doesn't make some changes over the course. Of the, with Yeah, they've got three games. Thursday, they play Thursday, Sunday, Thursday. Haven't haven't played last Saturday and House himself said earlier this month uh, that's what he expected to do that there would have to be changes I think midfield wise in particular I thought first half Shelby and Willock looked a bit fatigued as well I don't think there was quite the same energy uh, and then obviously we said about Ryan Fraser going off physically and quite a few of the players by the end because the physical expenditure again House spoke after the game about what part of the reason why he believes Newcastle have done so well in recent weeks is what they've given physically in the way that they have challenged team physically and I, and I would agree I think that they don't they don't give opposition breathing space at all they close them down they harry them and and, and they are so effective off the ball and that takes a heck of a lot and, and so for, for a team like Southampton who will press high who are very intense I think that there may need to be one or two changes there obviously Alan San Maximan came on Will he be ready to start? I would suspect he'd start one of these two. Might not be ready to start both. So it's which, whichever one, how decides he wants to start him in. And I would have thought Bruno would start at least one of the two of them. How has been reluctant to make too many changes yeah. in midfield. He likes that balance. But I do think in a away game against increased improvement in terms of opposition, higher level of opposition, and given the physical output of the last few weeks, I would expect to see changes like that. Someone like Javier Manquillo mm. may well come in at right back as well. I think there will I think we will see a few changes across the team. Absolutely. And we've still got some of the big boys to play as well, George, haven't we? And what do we think? I mean, I know it's quite dangerous to, to, to not think about the relegation battle anymore, but are we looking up? Do we think we've got any chance of a top-half finish here? Ooh... Oof, ooh, oof. Dangerous, oof. isn't it? Um, well, Eddie Howe was obviously Dare very we dream, quick. George? Uh, I think our dreams are a bit bigger than top half. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd like what Eddie Howe said straight <laughs> after the match on Saturday. He said, you know, we're still in a relegation fight, still got to sort of do that. And I do think that's that has to be the attitude. It has to be game by game by game. Um, again, the really encouraging thing is not just... Um, the fact that Newcastle have points on the board, it's the number of teams below them. So you're now as- asking a lot of teams to sort of yeah. equal or better Newcastle's form, and that's the encouraging thing. I still think you've just got to concentrate on the task in hand. I think it's going to be very, very difficult for all the teams who are below them to sort of get enough to, to plunge Newcastle back in it. But equally, you know, Newcastle are proof that it can that it can be done. So... Yeah, game by game by game. Top half. I think the fact we're even discussing that is just incredible. It's amazing it's that we're discussing it, thinking it, <laughs> and it's beautiful. And on that note, I would like to give a little surprise shout out to one of our listeners called Kia, who uh, listens to us most weeks whilst he's walking his dog. And so I'd like to say hello, Kia, and keep well, and thank you for listening. And I am sorry that my positivity 
over recent weeks has discombobulated you in the way that apparently has. I'm sure at some point in the future, normal service will be resumed, but I just like saying positive, happy things at the minute. So I'm going to try and stick with that for as long as possible. But Kia, thank you for listening and uh, cheers. Amazing stuff. And just before we move on as well, I would like to give a shout out to um, the wonderful people uh, involved in War Flags and the display uh, on uh, on Saturday that they did uh, in the Leasers, the Gallagher and the East Stand. I went with with my little lad. Uh, we actually went to the we went to the ground quite early, about nearly an hour before kickoff, to watch the players warming up, and we got to stand there. Um, and my my boy got to hold a flag and got to wave one around and stuff when the teams were coming out. And the the smile on his face was just from ear to ear. Uh, and I spoke to Thomas as well, Thomas Concannon, friend of the podcast before the game. I had a little chat with him uh, and I thought the display was brilliant uh, and especially the uh, the solidarity with the with the people of the Ukraine as well the flag that was unfurled for that I was uh, massively impressed with the amount of work and the amount of effort that had gone in uh, to the whole display and I want to just take my hat off to those guys and say well done uh, and keep up the good work um, we'll be back Tell you what, Tim, in sorry, just, just a minute interrupt you. I'm, I won't just take my hat off I'm going to take my wig off wow. to war flags because I posted on Twitter that I was doing the Paris Half Marathon yesterday, and one of the reply one of the replies was, um, "Well done, George. Congratulations, mate. By the way, do you wear a toupee?" <laughs> this is a, a pod on the tie exclusive. George does wear a toupee, but it isn't on his head. <laughs> no, I have to wear it. I have to wear it under my on my undercarriage in order to be able to facilitate the uh, bull shaving adverts that we occasionally have to do. <laughs> I can't shave them week after week after week, can I? Oh, my God. So. Anyway, with all of those wonderful mental images bouncing <laughs> around inside your heads, dear listener, we shall be back in just a moment. Ball to the cue ball. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, a little bit of an update on the Dan Ashworth situation. Obviously, uh, Newcastle have made an approach to Brighton. Dan Ashworth has left Brighton, and we're hoping he's going to be coming in as a sporting director, sporting executive. I'm not sure exactly what the job title is going to be yet. And this is the first question we get in every single mailbag that we've done in 2022. So, Chris, what's the answer? What is happening with Dan Ashworth? How close is he? And when will we see him as part of Newcastle United? Well, I think the answer at the minute is that he's not necessarily any closer than previously when we last discussed it. George and Andy Naylor, our colleague from Brighton, wrote a piece on Friday heading into the weekend's match, basically talking about relations between Newcastle and Brighton, the Dan Ashworth situation, exactly what he'll bring. And and Dan Ashworth, who is currently on gardening leave, having resigned from his position at Brighton, there was a quote from a Brighton source who said, at this moment, Dan's not going anywhere before the end of the year. He's going to have a great garden. <laughs> so I think that shows yeah. that the situation that we're in, basically Newcastle and Brighton are still in talks. Brighton are holding out for significant compensation, potentially even more than Ashworth's contract itself because they really don't see any incentive to force the issue on their end because they're going to be strengthening who they see to 
be a Premier League rival. They're obviously losing someone they rate very highly. And unless they get an offer which they think really is is too good to refuse, is a financial offer where they think, right, that this is worth us being compensated, they're not going to rush the process. And so from the Newcastle end, uh, the message is that they're not... They're, they're, obviously, they are keen for Dan Ashworth to be in as soon as possible, ideally, but also they're not so desperate they are just going to go and spend all the, all the money that, that, that Brighton may want for them to meet that. It's similar, I suppose, to looking back at the January window and with certain players. Newcastle had a price for yeah. certain players. They thought their value, they wouldn't go too high. They didn't want to sort of set a precedent. And that is the situation that we are in at the moment. So Dan, with Dan Ashworth himself, personal terms are not believed to be any sort of an issue. All that will be resolved very, very swiftly once this other issue is sorted. But for, for, for now, it seems to be a sort of yeah just that they're, they're stuck in this sort of situation where Newcastle think that, that, that they should offer x y or z we don't know exact value but this is what they're offering for Dan Ashworth Brighton are holding out for a lot more and there's a bit of a stalemate at the moment it's, it's not as if Brighton have to accept an offer it's not as if Newcastle bid what the remainder of Dan Ashworth's contract's worth and Newcastle uh, Brighton have to accept that they don't not at all it's he has a notice period which he has to give if they can find an accommodation, Newcastle obviously would want that. But Brighton don't have to say yes. I mean, you know, they could be asking for 50 million. If that's what they want to ask for, they're perfectly entitled to ask for that. Newcastle would never pay something, you know, something like that. I'm not saying for one moment they're asking for that. But I think that's the, you know, I think that's one part of it. The other thing that is worth clarifying is that there is this sense that he is coming to Newcastle to suddenly be the chief figure in terms of transfers. And so there was this enormous need to get him in position before January. And again, there's, you know, that there's that sort of need to, to do it before the summer. And that's not the case. That is not what he really did at Brighton. It wasn't about player recruitment. It was a much wider, he had a much wider remit. He has described that in a piece with Andy Naylor, our Brighton writer, as him being in the centre of the wheel and making sure that and, and that the heads of department and the, in the football side of things were at the end of spokes on the wheel, and it was his job to keep that wheel turning. So it's not that he wouldn't have a role in terms of players, new players coming in, but really it's about the development of young players. It's about looking at the way Newcastle uh, would do loans. It's about the whole first team structure. It's about linking up with the academy. It would be in Newcastle's case about building an identity for the first team, obviously in tandem with Eddie Howe. And making sure that when Newcastle need a player, that the first thing they do is looking behind in, in the academy, see what they already had. And hopefully those players will be coming forward who were able to play in the way that Newcastle wanted to play, so on and so forth. And of course, with Newcastle wanting new training facilities um, and, and that kind of thing, he would play a big role in that. So it's not as if Newcastle are desperate for him to come in before the summer because of transfers. Newcastle's transfer plans for the summer are already taking shape. They're very, very happy with the way Steve Nixon worked um, with them over January. And if, if if it comes to that, I'm sure they'd be fine. There's no desperation. They are dead set on Ashworth arriving. He will arrive. That's not in question. But at the same time, they're not going to go and pay massively over the odds just to shorten his notice period. It's definitely a case of when and not if then in, in, in this case, George. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Okay. Well, I mean, it, it's a massive appointment, isn't it? I don't think we can we can underestimate how big this appointment is. It's a it's a huge thing for the overall infrastructure of the club. And Dan Ashworth has has got a long history of of developing uh, young players and also working with Brighton. And he was integral in the development of St George's Park as well with the England setup and revitalising that. Um, he is a, a big name in the game, and you know, I fe- it feels like Newcastle know that they've got the right man here. This is the person that they're. After. Uh, and it's good to know that, you know, it's good to know that the decision has been made. And uh, I think there's been a little bit of panic from fans over the last sort of couple of weeks thinking, well, what, how the hell are we supposed to operate in the transfer window if he's not in by the summer? But from what you're saying, it sounds like that 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 isn't a priority anyway. Getting him in is a priority, but he doesn't necessarily have to be in before we start spending money and buying players. No. And when I spoke to Amanda Staveley and Murdad Gadusi uh, for that interview I did a couple of weeks ago, they sort of said, you know, there was all this. Uh, kind of narrative 
not necessarily from in, internally at the club or amongst Newcastle fans, if they don't know what they're doing, they have to get somebody in before January. Well, their way of thinking was they're not thinking about just one January. They're thinking two, three, four, five years. You know, that's the kind of project that they're that they're that they're sort of envisaging and how it is. And so it's more important to get the right person in position who can work well with the people already at the club. And that is the priority, not just rushing to and you know and making the wrong and making the wrong choice. So I think they're perfectly relaxed. There's no sense of tension between Newcastle and Brighton. You never know. There may have been discussions over the weekend. Obviously, with the two teams playing each other, they get on very well, and they did during January when when Dan Byrne arrived. Discussions that Dan Ashworth recused himself from because, of course, he was already talking to Newcastle by that point. Um, so there's a good working relationship with the club between the clubs. No sense of sort of annoyance or irritation, and I'm sure those discussions. I mean, I would still expect there to be a resolution, a positive re- resolution at some point, because I don't think it's particularly helpful for Brighton to be uh, paying somebody on gardening leave who's you know who's who's decided to to leave. But he also has to stick to his contract. There's no way around that. But George, it feels like at the minute the new owners are trying to get themselves into a situation where the recruitment of a particular individual, even with these bigger jobs at the club and the likes of Dan Ashworth, it's almost like they matter less than the overall project and the bigger picture in this case. Well, that's it. I mean, I think we're so used to sort of looking at Newcastle in terms of owner in Mike Ashley, Lee Charnley as managing director, the you know the manager or head coach. And it, it's it's a kind of very reductive way of looking at things, but it's also been the way it is because those have been the only people. You know, the manager has been the spokesman for the club, effectively. And there's been no other director apart from Lee Chandley. One of the things that Murdad Gadusi said the other week was, we have so many people to bring in. We have so many people to appoint because the whole club has been stripped back. And it's not like Dan Ashworth comes in and immediately solves every problem. But one, one of the things that he will do yeah. is he'll work to make people link better. He will work to appoint more people. And so you have this you have this situation where Newcastle have lots and lots of experts in their own respective fields working together, pulling together, everybody in alignment, everybody working to the same yeah. vision. It's quite difficult to make that sexy when you say, when you say all that sort of stuff out loud. But that is what a serious grown-up, joined-up football club does. And that really is exciting, the prospect of Newcastle being a club like that, being a collective again. And it's what we've seen on the pitch at the stadium and it's what we're seeing more of off the pitch. Absolutely. It's it's quite a weird feeling to see a club so joined up in the way they're thinking and, and everyone sort of pulling in the same direction. We've we've never really experienced that over the last few years. And uh, Chris, you've you've written about this a little bit in this uh, in a piece that you've uh, that you've written this week with regards to the the photographs that are getting put out after games and every single player with a massive beam and smile on their face. I mean, it's easy to do that when you're winning, I suppose. But um, it's it's interesting looking at those photos, isn't it? You see all of the staff in there, all of the injured players are in there. Every Everyone all pulling together for the same goal in the same direction. It's uh, it, it's nice to see. Yeah, so it's been after every single win. What Eddie Howe does is he gets together the players, the backroom staff, kit staff, physios, doctors, um, player liaison officers. So there was the, in the latest after the latest win, uh, they all got together in the change room. There's 46 people in in the photo. Half half of those are players, so 20 of them from the from the match day squad. Three of them. Win from the Manchester squad, including Kieran Trippier with his protective boot and crutches on, uh, in pride of place. But then the rest, the rest of them are all either backroom staff members or those other people I mentioned, physios. All these, all these little people who, a lot of people outside the club don't know that much about them. Even we as journalists don't cover them that much in terms of. But they are integral members, and Eddie Howe wants to show that this is about the team, this is about unity. And there's, I'm sure fans of opposition clubs will sort of look at this and like wonder why and I've even spoken to a few people a few ex-professionals a few ex-Newcastle players who sort of have raised their eyebrows at the fact that after winning a couple of games Newcastle have these sort of pictures and put them up on social media or share them between themselves that they've that they've won a match and sort of scoff at that idea but how does this he, do, he, he, he does this in general he has this in, in the training ground teams who win in sessions that or the trainer of the month that's put up and that's displayed so this image will be displayed around the training ground he did it previously at Bournemouth and he spoke after the match about that and he sort of it was quite funny because he, he sort of said he said I used to do this at Bournemouth and, and it never really ever got press attention it's like yeah 
This is a very different, and I think he's realizing now the different scope at Newcastle United that everything will be picked up on positive and negative, and this is this is seen as as, as a positive. And it is great to see all this. What what I think, and and you could say sometimes images belie the truth, but I don't think this one does. And it's how genuinely happy the people seem to be in that photo as well. It, they are beaming. They do look like they're really enjoying it. They look like then I spoke to to someone who, who basically said the players haven't thought it was a bit strange at first. They weren't against the idea. Now they actually look forward to going and taking these photos after matches. They're, they're looking forward to gather together to celebrate that moment. And how said the reason that we do it is that actually even even successful teams winning is is a sensation which you don't ever want to forget and it's something that they want to be able to share these memories in a long time be able to look back at them and say that was that win these were the people who were there together and so i just think it was was very nice and representative moment of 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 what howe was trying to foster that sort of he's talked about unity so much he discusses unity all the time togetherness team and i think that those those images show that more than anything else they did it for the first time didn't they after the burnley game and you Newcastle then had some pretty poor results after that. And I remember seeing fans of other teams reposting that picture, you know, maybe after they lost to Cambridge in the Cup and then the the draw with Watford. And they posted that picture to sort of take the piss out of Newcastle. And so I think then when Newcastle then won at Leeds and did it again, it became a bit of a fuck you to the world. And But there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I, I... you know, you, you sort of see it when they got that first win. That was obviously such a massive occasion. Yes, it was against Burnley, but so what? It was the first win. And I love the fact that they're still doing it. As Chris says, you can see the joy on people's faces. There is a real sense of togetherness around the place. And yeah, the people who aren't playing um, aren't sulking, certainly not on that evidence. And it's become a it's become a tradition. I hope they I hope they're doing it between now on the rest of the season every week because it means they're getting a good it means they're getting a good result i think it's become a sort of i think it's become a kind of great emblem for what newcastle have been doing in the last couple of months and yeah chris's piece was uh, was fantastic i'd urge everyone to read it that right then we'll be back in just a moment to wrap everything up speak to you soon This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, just a couple of little bits and pieces to wrap up before we finish. Uh, Amanda Staveley uh, this week was at the Financial Times conference, uh, and some of her comments came under the microscope from the media and from the press uh, with relation to uh, uh, Roman Abramovich and, uh, and the situation going on with Chelsea Football Club at the minute. Um, she stated that this world is never going to not have problems. I know it's really hard and it's sad today that someone is going to have a football club taken away from them because of a relationship they may have. I don't think that's particularly fair but I think we have to hold all of our relationships to account. Interesting quote that, Chris, and maybe he's a little bit of a faux pas from Amanda Staveley. Yeah, I mean, it was a difficult sort of... Uh, she was asked a lot of very difficult questions in the in the football... Uh, in the, sorry, in the Financial Times conference. It was, she was, I think she was on for about 25 minutes and there was obviously a lot about Saudi Arabia and PIF. And she was asked about... It, was, it wasn't It was a direct question so much about... Roman Abramovich and Chelsea. It was more about is there a parallel? Could there be a parallel between that and Newcastle going forward in terms of could there ever be a risk to a similar relationship between Saudi Rivers PAF and Newcastle going forward? And at the, at the end of quite a long answer, she she gave that answer, and I, I know that there was some people on social media who got a bit annoyed about the way that some of the comments are reported and saying that, that that it was taken out of context, that there wasn't the full amount of what she said. I, I just think that what she said was. 
I think it was a little bit naive to say that at the point. I, I realised she was put on the spot and probably wasn't an easy sort of situation, but I just think given the situation of the the world is in the moment, given um, the narrative out there of how everyone feels and, and how appalled we all are about what is happening uh, in Ukraine and, and, and any alleged relationship that, that Roman Brambich may or may not have with, with Vladimir Putin, I just didn't think it was... I think it was probably she stumbled over our words, but equally that that sort of idea that it would, would be unfair for it to have to take it away from. I just think it just didn't sort of read the room at the moment, read the, the the sort of room of what's going on in a wider context than than football. This is about so much more than someone owning a football club. There is so there are so much more important things going on in Eastern Europe at the minute. So yeah, I think it was a bit of a a bit of a faux pas. Maybe you could argue it's been overblown in some quarters, but equally I just think it was something which should probably would have been best just not not really answering it in that sort of way, which is easy for us to say sitting here in this circumstance. But I did think it was I did think it was a naive thing to say. Yeah, you're probably better off just keeping well away from those kind of topics when you when you're having uh, when you're in those sort of situations. Um, Amanda Stavely also clarified some aspects of Newcastle's ownership going forward as well, didn't she, George? And with regards to the potential dilution of um, shares and stuff in the future. Yes, I mean I guess that makes sense. Um, you know, if you're if one of your ownership group is the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, who have billions upon billions upon billions of pounds to their name, um, if they keep pumping money in at the rate they'll have to do to get Newcastle to where they'll be, obviously that that investment um, will be will 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 sort of be recognised in, in terms of shares because I don't think Amanda Staveley can can continue to to kind of keep pace with that. So she sort of said that as as things move forward, perhaps their their share their shares will be sort of uh, diluted in terms of how much they own. That's ten percent at the moment. Um, and one of quite interesting things she referred to herself and Murdad as interim CEOs. That's not a phrase that they've used before. Certainly not a phrase that they used the previous uh, the previous week when I when I spoke to them. But they also said that they wanted to be hanging around for twenty years. I think I think they said, which again, you know. That's it's a long term investment for them, and yeah, they clarified what they did in in the interview, in the sense that they see see themselves as being being around for a long time. Fair play, and Chris, we touched on it earlier on. You were at the Northeast Football Writers Awards last night, and Alan Sam Maximan took Player of the Year. Do you think that was the right choice? Do you think Alan Sam Maximan deserved that award? Well. This is for 2021, and 2021 wasn't a particularly good year for any of the <laughs> Northeast. It's only big three yeah, teams. Yeah. Um, I don't think any of them. So the, the I think it was sort of uh, there weren't two. I think my I, if I remember correctly, I think I actually nominated Callum Wilson. Um, I did, but to be yeah, but Alan Sam Maximan, I think just I think he just just shaded Callum Wilson for it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of impact, in terms of importance to the team, certainly it was a shame he wasn't there at the night. I think it would have been nice if he, he could have been there. He sent yeah. a video in. Um, he was sat in the front of his car. It was a bit of a, a bit of an odd video, but he did. He did <laughs> very Alan Sam Maximan. Was it any ways. more odd than Fabian Shea's trousers the last time we went? <laughs> oh, I forgot about those. Yeah, not quite. And, and his, what did he have like loafers on? As yeah, well? like, like brogues and like these trousers that already came down to his shins. <laughs> very weird. You know, I don't pretend to understand fashion, Chris, as you know, but that is just ridiculous, isn't it? Come on. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so the, as I said earlier, Amanda Stavely and Mia Gadusi were there. Stavely went up on stage and accepted the award on uh, on Sat Maximan's behalf. Hopefully going forward, the likes of, uh, well, if Howe's still here next year, which hopefully if he's been successful he will be, and the likes of Sam Maximan, and if, if a Newcastle player does well enough to win it, for the 2022 awards, hopefully they'll be there to, to, to pick it up next. It was just nice to be back in that sort of environment where players and and and, uh, and managers from clubs could mix with um, journalists and also uh, the, the public who'd, who'd come along to the event because obviously we didn't have that during the pandemic and I do think it's important as much as possible for the for these people still to be as accessible as they can be yeah. even uh, even given their success. So, yeah. Absolutely. And just before we go as well, we have to say happy birthday to the mercurial fleet-footed Frenchman, Mr. Hatton Ben Arthur. Uh, graced St. James's Park for a few years and uh, the occasional magic moment. Ben Arthur all the way, what a goal! Hatton Ben Arthur, a magnificent goal! Lionel Messi would have been proud of that one! 
So all the best to him for his birthday. An interesting one though, Chris. We're talking about Alan Maximum winning that award. Um, I put a little uh, tweet out last week, which was a poll to decide finally, as this question has been asked many times in the pub uh, before and after games, who is and was the better footballer, Hatton Ben Arfa or Alan Maximum? Where do we lie on this particular debate, Chris? Chris, you first, and then we'll go with George. Ooh, it's a, it's a, I, I, I'm, I'd probably go for Hatton Ben Arfa, hmm. but I think that Alan Maximan very much has the ability to to go beyond him. I think Ben Arfa is is the most naturally gifted player I've seen at, at, at Newcastle in the last fifteen years. But Sam Maximan runs him very very close, and if he can continue to to improve and, and start contributing more, I think he'd shade it. But for now, I think I'd I've got a little bit more of a soft spot for Hatton Ben Arfa. George, what about you? David Ginola. <laughs> oh, don't be a dick. That wasn't the question. Come on. I have spoken. <laughs> Charvet. He's against Lauren Charvet. No, <laughs> I don't know. I find. I find. I find. I can. I know you don't like this kind of fluffy nonsense, George. But it's a bit of fun. Come no, on. No, I like fluff. I've got no. Pro- he thinks it's a quiz, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my my serious answer, if it's to pick between the two of them, is David Ginola. But, and I find it difficult. I mean, I do think Ben Arthur had a load of talent, but I just thought he had an absolute honking attitude. Yeah, he did. And again, it's harsh, but I think you see that kind of for most of the rest of his career. Um, so I'd be tempted to say St. Maximum because I, I mean, because I think on his day he's more effective. I mean, I'd, but equally, um, making him effective is quite is is a challenge as well. So I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm, it, it's Ginola. Neither of them could tie Ginola's laces. That's the truth. No, I agree with that. I agree with that. But it was just an interesting question between the two of them. And on the on the Twitter poll that I put out, Hatton Ben Arfa won that with fifty seven percent of the vote. Over four thousand four hundred people voted on that. Fifty seven percent for Hatton Ben Arfa, forty three percent for Allenson Maximin. Um, right there we go. Also, we've got to say congratulations to. Uh, past uh, podcast guest Ian McIntosh who beat Liverpool in the League Cup final with Newcastle United on Football Manager recently. Is that what we're doing oh. now? Have we got to this point where we're announcing Football Manager wins on the podcast? Nah, Is this shape. how desperate we've got now? It's the shape of things to come. This time next season <laughs> we'll be doing that in real life. Steve Boulder's assistant manager, definitely. Uh, it's great. Anyway. It's a great series of uh, pieces Ian's written. It is. You should, if people haven't read them, you should go back to the start. It doesn't sort of sound promising to me, this idea of a series about a football manager. But it's um, it's great. Fantastic stuff. Right then, don't forget, uh, we've got a special offer on at the minute so you can get a subscription to The Athletic with your first six months at just £1 a month at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. If you haven't signed up yet, then what the hell are you playing at? Go and do it now. Uh, that's it everyone thank you very much for listening thanks a lot to George and Chris look after yourselves out there in the world and we shall speak to you very very soon see you later Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.